Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Songs for FRCR. The topic today is brain tumours. Today's episode will most likely be part one of four. Part one is brain tumours, as I've said. Part two will be supracellar or pineal mass lesions. Part three will be vascular lesions. And part four will end with spinal tumours. As if all that doesn't sound like enough fun, we've also, as usual, picked a song that we think fits with the theme. So here we go, Brain Tumours, part one. was Robert Palmer with Addicted to Love, a song which became his signature hit when he released it way, way back in 1986. Now let's talk brain tumours. As we've often done with most topics that require you to learn lots of different diagnoses under the same umbrella heading, we're going to approach it with a flowchart. So your mental flowchart will have brain tumours at the top, and a long horizontal line across the page in your mind. Coming down off that long horizontal line, you're drawing seven separate lines. So you've got seven groups of brain tumours to learn. It looks and sounds daunting, but I promise you it's not. It's very, very simple. Listen to this a couple of times and you'll remember it really well. We're going to start with the first two groups of the seven groups we're going to learn about. I mentioned the two first ones together because they both contain or both arise from glial cells. So they're both gliomas. The first two groups of tumours are gliomas. What are glial cells? You have to think back to medical school. Glial cells, the main glial cells that you will have heard of are astrocytes, oligodendrocytes, ependymal cells and choroid plexus cells. These are all cells within the CNS and any tumour arising from these is called a glioma. So both group 1 and group 2 are gliomas, we've established that. Group 1 is low-grade astrocytomas. Group 2 is mid-grade gliomas. That's your first two groups. Low-grade astrocytomas, group 1, and mid-grade gliomas, group 2. Let's start with the low-grade astrocytomas. There are four tumours I want to talk about here. The first of which is a juvenile pilocytic astrocytoma, a JPA. JPA is 
a benign World Health Organization grade one tumor in children within the posterior fossa. I'll say that again, JPA, benign WHO grade one posterior fossa mass in a child. What you will hear described in an exam or what you'll see if you're at work is cystic mass. It's a cystic mass in the posterior fossa and it will have an enhancing nodule, usually heterogeneously enhancing nodule. Edema will be minimal, but the tumour itself may well cause mass effect. It may compress the fourth ventricle and in doing so, it may well cause hydrocephalus. So just to go over that again, because this should be instantly recognisable to you in an exam. You shouldn't waste time thinking about this one. A JPA, a juvenile apelocytic, remember apelocytic means hair-like, juvenile apelocytic astrocytoma, JPA. Benign, who grade one tumour, posterior fossa in a child. It's a cystic lesion, but it will have a solid component that is heterogeneously enhancing. Edema will be minimal, but it may well cause mass effect and compress the fourth ventricle, causing hydrocephalus. That's your barn door, JPA. These don't have any association with hereditary diseases. However, there is another form of JPA, which you may see in an exam. This occurs along the optic pathway. And a third of these JPAs are associated with neurofibromatosis 1. The regular JPA that you get in the posterior fossa in children, that is not associated with NF1 at all. So that's it. Let's reorientate ourselves again. Brain tumours. We're doing seven groups of brain tumours. We are currently looking at group 1 and 2, both of which are gliomas. Group 1 is the low-grade astrocytomas. Group 2 is the mid-grade gliomas. We're on group 1 and we've been through the first one, which is JPA, Juvenile Pelocytic Astrocytoma. It's going to be easy to spot in an exam because it will be a child with a benign WHO-grade 1 cystic tumour within the posterior fossa. There will be a solid component to this cystic tumour which will be enhancing. The tumour may well cause compression of the fourth ventricle and resulting hydrocephalus. The less common form of JPA occurs along the optic pathway and in those patients a third of those are associated with neurofibromatosis 1. Put that into your mind, into your long-term memory. We'll go on to the next three in this group. The next three tumours in this group used to be called fibrillary astrocytomas. They're not called that anymore because since the World Health Organization reclassified brain tumours, they got rid of the fibrillary astrocytoma title and just incorporated them into the bigger diffuse astrocytoma category. The first of these three is a low-grade astrocytoma. Now a low-grade astrocytoma is a WHO-grade 2 lesion. This will be identifiable to you in an exam because it will just be subtle hyperintensity on T2, it will not enhance. So non-enhancing, subtle hyperintensity. It can be so subtle sometimes that it only affects a single gyrus. So a low-grade astrocytoma, the key here is that it will not be enhancing. So a non-enhancing T2 hyperintense mass lesion, which can be very subtle, sometimes only affecting a single gyrus. That's the low-grade astrocytoma. 
The next tumour is the one that you'll see all the time in neurosurgical MDTs. It's GBM, glioblastoma multiforme. It's the most common primary malignancy of the central nervous system. And the name multiforme implies that it has lots of forms. Despite the term multiforme, if you sit in on a few neurosurgical meetings, you will find that it has an unmistakable appearance. Typically, you'll see an infiltrative mass within the white matter. It's heterogeneously enhancing and there is lots and lots of high T2 signal all around it. Most of that high T2 signal that surrounds the tumour is also further infiltrative tumour. I keep repeating the word infiltrative because I think that's key. It's a really, really infiltrative disease. It spreads through the white matter tracts, through the CSF, it spreads subependimally and it also spreads across the midline via the corpus callosum. So let's recap. GBM, glioblastoma multiforme, a very, very aggressive, horrible, infiltrative tumour of older people. Most common primary CNS malignancy and typically it's a very, I keep saying this word, infiltrative white matter mass. It extends throughout the white matter and has lots of high T2 signal all around it, most of which also represents tumour. As a side note, a GBM that crosses the midline across the corpus callosum, that's called a butterfly glioma, that has specific differentials. GBM is likely. The other things that can cause a butterfly lesion is lymphoma and demyelination. We've talked about the low-grade astrocytoma, a non-enhancing WHO-grade 2 hyperintense T2 mass. We've talked about GBM, which is sort of the other end of the spectrum, a really aggressive WHO-grade 4 mass within older population. The final tumour in this group is an anaplastic astrocytoma. You can think of this as somewhere in between the low-grade astrocytoma and GBM. Why do I call it somewhere in between? For a number of reasons. The first reason is it's a WHO grade 3, so it's literally in between 2 and 4. Secondly, it has a range of appearances from anything to a single bit of thickened cortex, a lot like the low-grade astrocytoma, and it can go all the way to an aggressive, irregular, enhancing mass that looks a lot like, or actually that looks undistinguishable from a glioblastoma. Eventually, an anaplastic astrocytoma will progress to GBM anyway. So an anaplastic astrocytoma is a WHO grade 3 lesion somewhere in between the other two. It can range from a bit of thickened cortex, which is not enhancing, small, subtle, non-enhancing lesion, all the way to something indistinguishable from GBM. Ultimately, it turns into a GBM anyway. So that's your lot for group one. And let's reorientate. The repetition will get annoying, but actually it works really well in helping you to remember what I've told you. We'll start again from the top of our flowchart. The title is Brain Tumours. We've divided it into seven groups of brain tumours. We're looking at the first two groups that we've said are gliomas because they arise from glial cells. Group one we've just finished. Group one are the low-grade astrocytomas. 
Group 2, remember, were the mid-grade gliomas. So Group 1 included four tumours. The first was JPA, juvenile pilocytic astrocytoma, a cystic lesion with an enhancing nodule in the posterior fossa of a child. Rarely it can occur along the optic pathway, in which case a third of those are associated with neurofibromatosis 1. We then did the three that were previously called fibrillary astrocytomas, the first of which was a low-grade astrocytoma. Remember, this was a WHO-grade 2, non-enhancing, subtle, hyperintense mass on T2. We then did GBM glioblastoma multiforme. This was the aggressive WHO-grade 4, poorly defined, infiltrative mass lesion with lots of surrounding high T2 signal. Finally, the anaplastic astrocytoma was somewhere in between low-grade astrocytoma and glioblastoma multiforme. So the first group, the low-grade astrocytomas, included a grade 1, a grade 2, a grade 3 and a grade 4 tumour. Key things to take away from group 1, make sure you can remember what a JPA looks like, make sure you know what a GBM looks like, and finally, remember that a low-grade astrocytoma does not enhance. We'll move on to the second group, the mid-grade gliomas, after this. We are now moving on to mid-grade gliomas, our second group of the seven brain tumour groups we're talking about. Before we talk about group two, I just want to mention I'm well aware that the first group, low-grade astrocytomas, contains GBM, which is not low-grade. It's very high-grade, very aggressive. I put it in that group because that's where it fits best. So group two, mid-grade gliomas. There are three tumours I'm going to talk about here. They are gliomatosis, oligodendroglioma and ependymoma. Those are the three. Let's start with gliomatosis. To give it its full name, gliomatosis cerebri, it's diffuse, infiltrative, mid-grade, because it's in the mid-grade group, who grade 2 slash who grade 3 astrocytoma. I think of it personally as a mini GBM. To diagnose gliomatosis cerebri, you need to have involvement of at least two lobes plus some extra cortical involvement. That could be anything from the basal ganglia, corpus callosum, the cerebellum, 
anything other than the cortex. So I'll say that again, to diagnose gliomatosis cerebri, it must involve two lobes plus something extra. What you'll see on imaging is just diffuse high T2 signal wherever the tumour has spread. A key finding again here is it generally does not enhance. Like the low-grade astrocytoma from the first group, this will not enhance. It will, however, exert mass effect. So to summarise, the first tumour in our second group, the mid-grade gliomas, is gliomatosis cerebri. I think of it as a mini-GBM because it's diffuse and infiltrative. Diagnosis includes two lobes plus some extracortical involvement. It will exert mass effect. It will not enhance generally. This is a horrible, horrible tumour and often will progress to become a glioblastoma anyway. Let's move on to oligodendroglioma. Oligodendroglioma is a WHO grade 2. So again, it's still mid-grade in our mid-grade gliomas. It's WHO grade 2. It's a slow-growing mass arising from the cortex usually. The majority of oligodendrogliomas will calcify, around 75%. So in an exam, they're likely to be calcified. Like with everything in radiology, oligodendroglioma has multiple subtypes. I'm not going to talk about the multiple subtypes because I think it will be really unfair to give those to you in an exam. Another point to remember is oligodendrogliomas will occasionally feature some haemorrhage. So to recap the findings in oligodendroglioma, it's WHO grade 2, cortical solid mass lesion that's slow growing. Because it's slow growing, you probably won't see much in the way of edema surrounding the lesion. It's probably going to be calcified and it may have some hemorrhage. So cortical solid lesion, most likely calcified, maybe some hemorrhage, minimal edema. Another important clue for oligodendroglioma in an exam is patient demographic. If the question talks about a middle-aged person with a seizure, then the oligodendroglioma should be flashing in your brain. Now, before I move on to ependymoma, I want to mention something else alongside oligodendroglioma, and that is a tumour called PXA. PXA will feature in another group of tumours that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But I want to mention it alongside oligodendroglioma because it's often the main differential. What I mean by that is often in an exam, you'll be able to get the choices down to one of two, oligodendroglioma and PXA. So I think it's important that you know how to differentiate the two. So PXA stands for pleomorphic xanthoastrocytoma. That's another low-grade, who-grade 2 astrocytoma. Now, we know the features of oligodendroglioma, and we're going to compare and contrast the features between that and PXA. So we said oligodendroglioma is middle-aged people with a seizure. With PXA, it will be young adolescents with a seizure. In PXA, the seizure is likely to be associated with a history of epilepsy. Oligodendroglioma is a cortical lesion, I told you. PXA is also a cortical lesion, but a clue here is that it's usually within the temporal lobe. We know oligodendroglioma is a solid lesion and there are no cystic components. 
PXA can also be solid, but there are usually significant cystic components to it. Oligodendroglioma has high rates of calcification, 75% will be calcified and occasionally there'll be hemorrhage. With PXA, there's no calcification and there's no hemorrhage. Finally, PXA often causes thickening and enhancement of the dura surrounding the lesion, whereas oligodendroglioma generally doesn't. Let's just recap what I've said. I will talk about PXA properly when we get to it in group 5, but for now, let's contrast it with oligodendroglioma. So oligodendroglioma, I'm going to repeat this again, cortical lesion, solid, slow-growing, so minimal edema, generally calcified, sometimes hemorrhage. PXA, also grade 2, also cortical, generally a younger age group, so adolescents, with a history of epilepsy. Also cortical, but generally tends to be temporal lobe. Can be solid, but with cystic components. No calcification, no hemorrhage. Often causes thickening and enhancement of the local dura. So that was a side note, which was oligodendroglioma versus PXA. And now finally, ependymoma. Ependymoma arises from the ependymal cells. In children, it tends to be within the posterior fossa. In adults, it tends to be within the spinal cord. Spinal cord ependymoma in adults will be talked about in the spinal tumours section. So we'll just talk about the tumour within the posterior fossa in children. The paediatric posterior fossa ependymoma. It's known as the toothpaste tumour, famously, because it squeezes like toothpaste and fills the fourth ventricle and it then squeezes through the foramina of Lushka and of Mojondi into the basal cisterns. Other posterior fossa tumours in children do not squeeze through the foramina to fill the basal cisterns. That characteristic, the toothpaste characteristic, is specific to ependymoma. What you'll see on imaging is an avidly enhancing mass arising from the fourth ventricle usually and usually causes obstructive hydrocephalus. So let's just reorientate ourselves again. We're doing brain tumours and we're on group two. Well, we finished group two. Group one were the low-grade astrocytomas. JPA was the first one. Then we did low-grade astrocytoma, GBM, and the one in between the two, anaplastic astrocytoma. We then moved on to the mid-grade astrocytomas, the first of which was gliomatosis cerebri, the mini-GBM that infiltrates through at least two lobes plus something extra, exerts mass effect but does not enhance. We then did oligodendroglioma, the solid cortical lesion which occurs in middle-aged patients generally calcified, often with hemorrhage, no cysts. And finally, number three, ependymoma. In children, it's a paediatric posterior fossa toothpaste tumour because it squeezes through the foramina into the basal cisterns. We'll now move on to group three, which are the PNET tumours, P-N-E-T. These are aggressive grade four malignancies.
Before I move on to group three, I'm going to cheat and mention an extra tumour. We'll call it 2.5, only because I had no other group that this would really fit into, but it's important because I think it's an easy exam question. The tumour is called Lamite Duclo. When I spell it for you, L-H-E-R-M-I-T-T-E hyphen D-U-C-L-O-S. Sounds French. Lamite Duclo. It's part hamartoma and part neoplasm. The only reason I think it's a good exam question is because it's so commonly associated or almost always associated with Cowden syndrome. Cowden syndrome is explained further in our polyposis syndromes podcast. On imaging, what you will see is a tiger striped lesion. That's how it's commonly described, a corduroy or tiger striped lesion within the cerebellar hemisphere. It does not enhance. So if a vignette in an exam talks about somebody with Cowden syndrome who has a cerebellar lesion, which has a tiger striped or corduroy appearance, just take Lamite Duclos and move on. Don't even think about it. Let's move on to group three. Group three are the PNET, P-N-E-T, PNET tumours. These are embryonal tumours which are very high grade. They're grade four tumours and there are two that I'm going to talk about in this group. The two tumours here are medulloblastoma and ATRT, atypical teratoid rhabdoid tumour. They both have very similar characteristics. So first I'm going to tell you what is common between both of them and then we'll talk about the differences. So first of all both medulloblastoma and ATRT are paediatric posterior fossa tumours. They are both high grade grade 4 lesions, both intensely enhancing and both show restricted diffusion. Let's just say that again, group 3 are the embryonal PNET tumours the two I'm talking about are medulloblastoma and ATRT. Both of these tumours are paediatric posterior fossa tumours. Both of them are intensely enhancing and both show restricted diffusion. Let's start with medulloblastoma. Medulloblastoma is one of the most common paediatric brain tumours. We'll start with location. It will be midline in the cerebellar vermis. If it's in slightly older patients, so young adults, then it may not be midline in the vermis and it may actually be eccentric within the cerebellar hemisphere, still within the posterior fossa. That's the location. Appearance-wise, on a plain CT, it will be slightly hyper-attenuating. It's hyper-attenuating because it has lots of densely packed cells. And this high cell density causes the hypo-intensity on T2-weighted MR scans. So it has very densely packed cells which make it hyper-attenuating on plain CT and make it hypo-intense on T2-weighted MR scans. We already know it has restricted diffusion because I mentioned at the beginning that both of these tumours show restricted diffusion. So you'll see low ADC values. I also said both of the tumours are avidly enhancing and medulloblastoma is avidly enhancing 
not necessarily homogeneously enhancing because it will contain calcification and areas of hemorrhage. So you'll see very intense heterogeneous enhancement. The final important thing to mention about medulloblastoma is a metastatic disease. Up to a third of patients will have metastases at time of diagnosis. The metastatic disease is often described as sugar coating or like spreading of icing sugar enhancement over the surface of the brain. It can also involve the spine. They often incorporate this into exam questions by asking what the first step is following diagnosis of medulloblastoma. And the answer to this question is always, you need to image the entire brain and spine before surgery. Another common way they like to test medulloblastoma in an exam is to test your ability to differentiate paediatric posterior fossa tumours. For those of you listening carefully, you'll know this is the third paediatric posterior fossa tumour I've talked about. The other two common ones I've mentioned are JPA, right at the beginning, and ependymoma, the toothpaste tumour. One of the easiest ways to differentiate medulloblastoma from the other two is restricted diffusion. Medulloblastoma, I've said again and again, shows restricted diffusion, so will have low ADC values. The other two will not. So that's it for medulloblastoma. It's pretty much all you need to know for the exam. Let's just recap. Grade 4 aggressive lesion, midline cerebellar vermis, if it's an older patient, can be eccentric and within the cerebellar hemisphere. It has densely packed cells, which mean on CT it's hyperattenuating and on T2-weighted MRI it's hypo-intense. ADC values are low because it shows restricted diffusion. There will be heterogeneous avid enhancement. Heterogeneous because tumour often contains calcification and haemorrhage. Finally, up to a third will have METs, so you need to make sure you image the whole brain and spine before any surgery is planned. The other tumour in this group is ATRT. I've already mentioned it has lots of similarities with medulloblastoma. Remember, they're both paediatric posterior fossa tumours, which are avidly enhancing and show restricted diffusion. So they both can look very similar. The key difference in the two of them in an exam, what will help you in an exam is patient demographics. They will have very, very similar features, but if the patient they talk about is under three years old, you go for ATRT. If they're older than three, you go for medulloblastoma. As a general rule of thumb, that will work for you for most questions. Another good way to clinch the diagnosis is if they mention a tumour of the kidney, because ATRT, atypical teratoid rhabdoid tumour, is associated with a malignant rhabdoid tumour in the kidney. So those are your two main ways to differentiate ATRT from medulloblastoma. Age, ATRT will be younger, under three, and a rhabdoid tumour in the kidney. That was the embryonal PNET tumours.
The fourth and final group we're covering in this episode is called tumours with a cyst and a nodule. These are all low-grade tumours that secrete fluid, so they present as a cystic lesion with a solid enhancing bit. There are four tumours in this group. The first we've already covered is JPA, Juvenile Pelocytic Astrocytoma. We covered this one way back in the first group, the low-grade astrocytomas. And if you remember, it was a paediatric posterior fossa tumour. I'm not going to talk about that again. So we'll move on to the other three. The other three tumours in this group are hemangioblastoma, PXA, which I've already actually mentioned, and ganglioglioma. So the four tumours in the fourth group Tumours with a cyst and an enhancing nodule are JPA, hemangioblastoma, PXA and ganglioglioma. Let's start with hemangioblastoma. Hemangioblastoma is a really, really vascular WHO grade 1 tumour. In about a third of patients with hemangioblastoma, they have von Hippel-Lindau syndrome. So this highly vascular WHO grade 1 hemangioblastoma is almost always infratentorial. It's usually in the cerebellum, it can be in the medulla or the spinal cord. Classically, a hemangioblastoma is a cystic mass with an enhancing nodule, which is shocking because it's in the group of tumours that are cystic with an enhancing nodule. So it's a cystic mass with an enhancing nodule, you will see, because it's highly vascular, you'll see lots of vessels or tubular flow voids within the lesion. It's possible to get solid or hemorrhagic hemangioblastomas, but in an exam, they probably will give you the classic appearance. If it's in the spinal cord, it's usually associated with a syrinx. Now, most of the exam questions that I've seen with a hemangioma in the spinal cord do have a syrinx associated. So we are doing group four, tumours with a cyst and an enhancing nodule. The first was JPA, which we covered already. The second was hemangioblastoma. Hemangioblastoma, a highly vascular posterior fossa cystic tumour. In about a third of patients, it's associated with von Hippel-Lindau. It's almost always infratentorial, usually in the cerebellum. You will see the vessels within the lesion and you'll see them on MR as these tubular flow voids. If it occurs in the spinal cord, then it's usually associated with a syrinx. That's hemangioblastoma. Let's move on to PXA, pleomorphic xanthoastrocytoma. I have already talked about PXA when I compared it with oligodendroglioma, but we'll go over it again. PXA, it's a low grade two lesion and it's a tumour generally of childhood and adolescence. The history will be of chronic epilepsy. As I said earlier when talking about PXA, it's usually within the temporal lobe and it's a cortical lesion. It's a cystic mass because it's in the group of cystic lesions with an enhancing mural nodule. It does cause thickening of the dura in the local area. 
the next tumour in this group, ganglioglioma, can be very similar to PXA, both in terms of presentation, patient demographics and appearance. There are subtle differences that will help you, however. The first of which is age of the patient. PXA tends to be childhood and adolescence. Ganglioglioma, however, tends to be adolescents and young adults. They both present with epilepsy. Both PXA and ganglioglioma present as a temporal lobe cyst with an enhancing nodule, where PXA causes thickening of the overlying dura. Ganglioglioma will often be calcified and it will cause remodeling and bony scalloping. Let's go over that again. Two tumors in the group of cystic lesions with an enhancing nodule are very similar. PXA and ganglioglioma. They are both cystic temporal lobe lesions and present as epilepsy. The differences are as follows. PXA tends to be in childhood and adolescence. Ganglioglioma is a bit older and tends to be adolescents and young adults. PXA causes thickening of the overlying dura. Ganglioglioma does not cause thickening of the overlying dura. Ganglioglioma is often calcified and it causes bony remodeling and scalloping. So dural thickening for PXA and calvarial remodeling and scalloping for ganglioglioma. And that is all of the four first four groups that I'm going to do today. Groups five, six and seven are intraventricular tumours, CP angle tumours and a miscellaneous group. If we do all those as well in one episode, it will impair your retention of what you've already heard. So we'll stop at groups one to four. I'm just going to do a quick recap to reinforce everything I've said and hopefully this will remain in your mind. If you listen to this a couple of times, prepare yourself for the next part of this talk, which will be available in a few days time. So recap, the bone tumours flowchart contains seven groups of tumours. The first four we've covered in this podcast. Group one were the low-grade astrocytomas. The first of these was JPA, juvenile pilocytic astrocytoma, a posterior fotter cystic lesion in children. It's a benign who-grade one tumour, very well-defined cystic mass with an enhancing nodule. Remember JPA also features in group four, tumours cystic with an enhancing nodule. Edema will be minimal. It can also occur along the optic pathway and in these patients it's often associated with neurofibromatosis 1. Low-grade astrocytoma is subtle and just presents as a hyperintense T2 mass without enhancement. Low-grade astrocytoma does not enhance. It can often be very subtle, sometimes involving just a single gyrus. We talked about GBM, a horrible WHO grade 4 aggressive tumour of older adults, infiltrative and highly aggressive. 
with lots of surrounding high T2 signal. And finally, anaplastic astrocytoma, somewhere in between low grade and GBM, which ultimately progresses to GBM. They were the four in group one, the low grade astrocytomas. Group two were the mid grade gliomas. The first of these was gliomatosis cerebri, which is a grade two or grade three lesion. Remember, diagnosis needed two lobes plus something extra. This, just like low-grade astrocytoma, did not enhance. It will cause mass effect. Oligodendroglioma was the middle-aged person presenting with a seizure. It's a solid cortical lesion, 75% of which are calcified and occasionally will contain hemorrhage. Finally, ependymoma, the toothpaste tumour, occurs in kids in the posterior fossa or in adults within the spinal cord, squeezes through the foramina of Majondi and Lushka into the basal systems. Quickly mentioned Lamite Duclos in between. This was the cerebellar hamartoma slash neoplasm, which appears as a corduroy or tiger-striped lesion in patients with Cowden syndrome. Group three were the embryonal P-net tumours. The two I mentioned were medulloblastoma and ATRT. Both are paediatric posterior fossa tumours. Both were highly enhancing. Both showed restricted diffusion. The best ways to tell them apart were age, ATRT tends to be in patients under the age of three and also associated lesions. ATRT can sometimes have an associated rhabdoid tumour of the kidney. And finally, group four, tumours with a cyst and enhancing nodule. The first was JPA, we've already talked about that. Then hemangioblastoma. Hemangioblastoma, grade one, always infratentorial, highly vascular lesion, full of flovoids, in 30% associated with von Hippel-Lindau. If it's in the spinal cord, you'll probably see a syrinx. And the last two in this group, PXA and ganglioglioma, both are cystic lesions within the temporal lobe. Both present as a young patient with seizures, or with epilepsy. PXA will be slightly younger patients, ganglioglioma will be slightly older. PXA will cause a dural thickening and enhancement around it. Ganglioglioma will cause calvarial remodeling and scalloping, as well as containing some calcification. You need to organize these tumors in your mind in preparation for the next podcast, which will cover intraventricular tumours, cerebellar pontine angle tumours, and a miscellaneous bunch that I've put together. What we'll do once we've completed all the brain tumour podcasts is do a few brain tumour MCQ sessions. We'll go through lots of questions from lots of different sources, hopefully consolidating everything you've learnt. Remember, learning a list of tumours is near impossible. Grouping them in this way really helps to keep the information organised in your mind and that will really help with memory recall. 
You don't have to use the grouping system, but this is the way I learnt it and I haven't forgotten it, even if I've tried to forget it. So that was Brain Tumours Part 1. I've been your host, Dr OG. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you next time. for listening guys we hope you enjoyed the most recent episode from songs for frcr if you did follow us on twitter tell your friends about it spread the word we love hearing from you and we love getting your feedback drop us an email send us a voice message anywhere you please this is just to let you know we have three new presenters waiting in the wings They are busy preparing their topics and as soon as they're ready and teed up, they will release their own episodes soon. Contrary to what it may sound like, we do actually prepare for every episode we release. Interesting fact for you, one of our new presenters used to host a local radio show, so he will make us all look like amateurs. There will be new voices, but don't worry, I will not be going anywhere. I, the original gangster, the OG, will be staying right here. Don't forget to enter our competition. See the previous podcast for details. In the meantime, keep listening to Songs for FRCR and our laid-back learning. We'll see you next time.